Okay, you guys, no matter if you're training for something big or you're just trying to get lean and stay healthy, your body requires a lot of protein. In fact, around one gram per pound of body weight. Now, cooking whole foods is best, but I'm going to be honest, sometimes I need help hitting my protein count with clean, on-the-go nutrition that works for both myself and my family. But that is a lot harder than it sounds. I've been searching for months to find a super clean, affordable protein powder that actually tastes good, has a full amino acid profile, and doesn't upset my stomach. Finally, I found Equip Foods Prime Protein. And seriously, you guys, I am hooked. Prime Protein has over 2,000 five-star reviews because there's no junk, fillers, or additives ever. Equip's unflavored grass-fed beef isolate protein powder has only one ingredient. All of their flavors taste amazing. Vanilla happens to be my favorite. They mix well. They can be added to countless low-carbon keto recipes. You can make a quick shake with just one scoop and get a 21-gram protein instantly. You guys, that's like eating four ounces of steak. Every single batch of Prime Protein is certified non-GMO and is free of glyphosate and heavy metals. If you need a delicious, easy-to-use, easy-to-digest, clean protein powder, seriously, you guys need to check out Equip. You can save 15% off with my code DRFIT, D-R-F-I-T, at equipfoods.com. And by the way, every single bag comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. No questions asked. to the Fit and Fabulous Podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Jamie, and welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous Podcast. It is so incredible to have you back today. I think you're going to love today's guests. I have been obsessed, honestly, with this topic that we're about to talk about ever since Mark and I met, and the more and more and more I learn about the human microbiome and the oral microbiome, and it's connection with chronic systemic diseases and pregnancy. That's right. Even going to be talking about the women's health world. And uh, it's it's really fascinating what's going on inside of our bodies. So let me introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Mark Cannon. He received his doctorate of dental surgery from the University of Nebraska. So go big red. <laughs> and then oh, he attended Northwestern course. University. Yeah, for his master's in pediatric dentistry. He completed his residency at Children's Memorial Hospital and received his diplomat status by the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry. And uh, he's a past president of the Illinois Society of Dentistry for Children, a professor of otolaryngology division of dentistry at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine, and a member of the International Association of Pediatric Dentistry. In uh, addition to maintaining a large private practice in the suburbs of Chicago, he also does uh, a lot as a research coordinator in the residency program there. And uh, he does so much work with the American Academy for Oral and Systemic Health. That's how we met. Um, he's, he's presented lectures all over the country, you guys. And in addition to all the work he does in his uh, field of study, he's also a proud father of five. Uh, all his kids are very accomplished, and he is a very proud grandfather. Dr. Mark Cannon, welcome to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Thank you so much, Jamie. I am so happy to be back doing this. Um, this is something I, I I love to do. It's my mission in life has been always to do research, teach, and practice. I am now currently retired from private practice as of May, so there's a little update. 
Congratulations. I'm the president of the American Academy for Oral and Systemic Health. Um, I speak a lot about oral and systemic health, and that's actually how we met. And you were so gracious to be a speaker at our annual meeting in Phoenix, Arizona. And I thank you again for doing that. That was fabulous. Nope. Yeah. So for I'm people that don't understand, that there is um, this an incredible conference called Collaboration Cures, and it is the connection of dentists like Dr. Cannon and regular medical doctors. It's, it's also attended by hygienists and nurses and other healthcare professionals, but a way that we can collaborate as healthcare professionals to kind of understand this connection between what happens in the mouth and what happens in the body, because there is an absolutely undeniable connection between what happens in those places and uh, and it's bi-directional. So let's kind of dive into that. First of all, when people go into dentistry, of course, we think about just getting your teeth cleaned and fixing teeth. But where did like this passion with, with your area of research really stem from in your career? Well, in dentistry, it started way back in the 1800s. In fact, at first, dentistry was a specialty of medicine in many countries. And then it split off completely on its own, as you know. In my career, I didn't know how closely they were united until I did my hospital residency back in the 1970s when I went to Children's Hospital. And I realized that every patient we saw that had a severe medical issue, they often ended up with severe dental issues, which would complicate the medical issues. But as you've said, over the last few years, especially the last two or three years, we find that the connection is unbelievable that the oral pathogens, that's the bad bacteria in the mouth, have evolved so much. And remember, in biology, nothing in biology makes sense except through the eyes of evolution. And when I lecture to students, I say nothing in dentistry makes sense except through the eyes of evolution. So we've evolved to have these microbiomes, groups of microorganisms, whether it's in the mouth, the nose, placenta, wherever these organisms are, we evolve with them. Many are friendly, the vast, vast majority. If we die, they die. They're very friendly. They help us with everything, digestion, help tune our immune system. Then you have the pathogens. Well. Some of the key ones in the mouth, the bad bacteria and pathogens, actually create havoc throughout the entire body. So much, though, the National Institute of the Health and Center for Disease Control has specified one as a keystone pathogen. This one bacteria, we'll just call it PG, not only creates gum disease, but inflammatory Alzheimer's. And they can mm. prove that by simply giving the bacteria to mice and the mice go through cognitive decline. They look like they have Alzheimer's under the microscope behavior and they also get prediabetes, insulin resistance, and they gain weight. But of course, you know where we're going with this too. You give it to those mice and you give them the bacteria from a woman with preeclampsia, the mice get preeclampsia. So there are so many different studies now, there are animal studies showing a direct link and the causation and they know exactly down to the little most infinite detail of how this is occurring. 
it is to me extremely fascinating because I got my start going thinking about microbiology back in the 70s. And now I know those mic that microbiology is essential in all of healthcare. Wow. Okay, so you said the word human evolution. Now, it would seem that dentistry and orthodontics and endodontics and all of these special areas of of the mouth essentially uh, are professions of the modern age. Um, I don't know how far back, you know, the, the, the work of dentistry really runs, I but tell you. <laughs> can you, I'm sure you could spout it right off, but can you tell, you said the word human evolution. So can you talk about human evolution and teeth? You know, I'm sure some of my listeners have heard of like Weston Price and oh, you know, what he, what he learned about, you oh, know, yeah. teeth, but we didn't always have bad teeth like this. So can you give us some insight to that? Why, why do we have such bad, bad mouths now? Well, actually, the first fillings go back to almost 13,000 years ago, but they were happening during the very beginning of the Neolithic period. It was actually the Epipaleolithic period, the end of the, of the Mesolithic period, where we went from being hunter-gatherers to having a lot more grain. So just remember, when people started to eat cereal, basically, basic concept, teeth got worse, and we got a lot more cavities. Although gum disease goes back 20, at least 30,000 years ago, um, that's a different story. That's a disease that jumped to humans and back to dogs. So dogs and humans share a very similar gum disease. And now cats, after domestication about 10,000 years ago. So we have to look at our anthropological history and the evolution of all this. And we realize you said orthodontics. Well, this complex of the face, the craniofacial respiratory complex, how the face developed to help us breathe through our nose and support our nose. Orthodontics is the treatment of the maladaptation because of changes that we have, in, have endured in our evolutionary trait. There's a lot more orthodontics. The jaw has gotten more narrow. The upper jaw specifically has gotten a lot more narrow. And oddly enough, Jamie, microbiome changes have contributed to that too, because one of the key reasons for kids to have obstructive sleep apnea or sleep disturbed breathing is poor nasal respiration. It, this is it's an incredible story. I, I love this story because it shows how it's all bi-directional and it's a vicious cycle. So if you have wrong bacteria in your nose, and just recently, just very recently, in fact, I'm still publishing it. I just finished the rough draft a few days ago. <laughs> we did the deep sequencing of the nasal microbiome. So we know all the bacteria and the primitive bacteria and the viruses inside the nose. And a lot of the good bacteria in the mouth are also in the nose. And then some are also mouth, nose, and gut. Wow. There's a good bacteria that protect you everywhere. But if you don't have the good ones in your gut, you get more allergies. Every study has shown that, right? Gut microbiome mm -hmm. gut issues lead to allergies. Allergies lead to nasal respiration issues, which lead to mouth breathing, which creates more nasal respiration issues because the mouth breathing causes the tonsils and adenoids as well in these kids. And that's why, according to famous studies published by the CDC, by like Karen Bonnock and others, so three to five-year-olds, between 20 and 30% of kids have sleep-disturbed breathing. That disturbs wow. your microbiome. That sets them up to have all this gum disease and cavities. 
famous study done, published, International Journal of um, Otolaryngology, the, the ENT guys again. They looked at kids having their tonsils and adenoids out, hundreds of them, because of airway issues. They couldn't breathe because of large tonsils and adenoids. Over 62% had moderate to severe decay. All of them had dental disease from the mouth breathing. So every dentist, if you see a child with an issue with teeth, first thing they're supposed to look at, are they breathing okay? Because believe it or not, Jamie, the majority of my patients prefer breathing. So when you're like, like, let's say somebody's listening right now and they look over at their kid. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Well, it's my bad know. sense of humor again. <laughs> Just the majority of people prefer you're breathing. Not everyone. You're not breathing. You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> but when you say like, make sure they're breathing, like how could somebody look at their kid right now and say, is my kid breathing normally? What do they snore? Okay. Because snoring is important during pregnancy and it's important in children. Snoring is never considered normal in a child. That's been repeated many times. Snoring is never normal in a child. And you have to look out for snoring during pregnancy. When I talk about preventing disease and I talk to a large group, I always start off prenatal, which I know you have to enjoy a whole lot. We always start off prenatally because, again, the study is showing that even just snoring, asking the spouse, is there snoring at night, if it was it were they snoring beforehand? Three things, uh, pregnancy onset snoring, chronic snoring, and pre-pregnancy weight are very important factors. If you're overweight to begin with, you're at much higher risk. Of course, everyone is. The more weight you have, the much higher risk you are, period, for airway issues. There's well, everything. Fat back yeah. in there, everything, yeah. And so if you have a, a, a acute pregnancy onset snoring, that's so easily treated by the dentist with just a mouth appliance and won't be any long-term effects. They all should be screened. Every pregnant woman should be screened for that. They actually should have their microbiome screened too, because as you know, and you've talked to some famous people on this, that certain bacteria increase the risk of miscarriage and low birth rate. And yeah, but nobody's still, testing for it. I know. Yeah. Or, or even aware, honestly, you know, when we see a patient with recurrent pregnancy loss until I started diving into this world. Um, I mean, I remembered in obstetrics and gynecology residency, they would say things like, you know, look in your patient's mouth, ask about gingivitis, ask about, you know, chronic tooth issues, and that there was some connection between that and pregnancy, you know, problems. But that was literally like the level when I come out of training that what I know and now what I know is like, Wow. Right. Like I uh, recently had a patient with multiple recurrent losses and we're working on getting her tested, you know, her mouth for, for some of these bacteria because we've tested all these normal things that I was taught to test for with recurrent pregnancy loss, like a uterine septum, um, you know, uh, antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, diabetes, thyroid dysfunction. So I've ruled all these things out and what am I left with? Right. So now I'm like, now I'm harboring in on her oral microbiome and sure enough, I start asking about it and she's got, she's got mouth issues. She's got tooth issues. She's got, she has, she has issues in her mouth. And I think that's the, that's the cause. So Easily this is be. like, there's so much research on that and it should be one of the first things people look for. Um, but you, you went down the whole list, which is very admirable. Um, sometimes 
it's amazing because I work with physicians all the time and with uh, medical groups that will be having a conversation and I'll be saying, why didn't they look at this or that or this? And finally, someone in the back goes, how come you didn't look for this? <laughs> I'm going, hey, 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 I'm not the only one thinking about this. So, yeah. yeah, there's so much we could do for patients and there's so many ways we can intervene. Um, that's a positive thing. You know, always say you should prepare for pregnancy before you get pregnant, um, not just obviously monetarily, too, <laughs> and time wise. Oh, by the way, I have two new grandkids. Since Congratulations. Yeah, I had two come in the month of July. And uh, uh, I, I do all this because I... I think it's the best thing for the new generation. I want my so grandkids what, to grow. What advice? In my house. What advice would you give your your children, or you know, um, about these new babies? How would somebody listening right now? How would you establish, you know, oral development, oral microbiome for these babies? Let's talk about that. Well, of course, that's very funny to me because. Kids never listen to their parents anyway. <laughs> never. They do the opposite, in fact. So you have to be very, very careful on how you word things. But yeah, you have to eat the right foods. I mean, yeah. absolutely. When you're pregnant, you have to eat the right foods. And when you, the baby's born, and the baby should be breastfed, if, if at all possible, everyone knows. I have been actually yelled at for lecturing on that in certain locations. But the reality is breast milk is loaded with bacteria. In fact, it has the who's who's of all the probiotics. It's just absolutely wonderful how much good that is in breast milk. And in fact, most of the fats in breast milk aren't for the baby. It's actually for the baby's microbiome, develop the microbiome, which develops their immune system. That's why there's so much, you know, breastfed babies are much healthier. They just get sick a lot less too in studies. But a lot of it comes from the mom. That's why with the mom, if the mom doesn't have the right bacteria, and this is something we know for sure, from some famous studies looking at the Hudson babies and comparing them to babies born in like the Western world, we're missing at least 20% of the bacteria that we should have. And wow. I stress the bacteria that we should have. We tend to be missing our probiotic bacteria. And these probiotic commensal groups, they seem to be more susceptible to environmental changes. They seem to be more acceptable to antimicrobials. It's kind of like my old example of if you spray your backyard with Roundup and everything dies, what grows back first? Mm. The weeds. The weeds. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these pathogens, they're just a little bit more hardy and they tend to survive better. And there's this vicious little cycle going on, which is really interesting with, with pregnancy. If you eat a lot of sugary stuff, you're going to boost the population of a bacteria called strep mutans, which most people have heard about because strep mutans causes cavities. Now, strep mutans also can cause heart infection, endocarditis. It can cause infection of the brain. It can cause encephalitis of the brain. And it also can cause and contribute to the spread of oral and throat cancer. That they've only known about for the last two years, about the role in cancer. But strep mutans is killed by a good guy, which is another strep called strep oralis. 
which produces hydrogen peroxide, which kills the bad guy. But wait, the bad guy produces more of what kills the streporalis. They produce this anti is a, like antibiotic is called uh, a bactericin. So it kills the good guy. So they're always fighting a war. So in your mouth, there's always a war going on and they all have allies. The good guys have allies, like the good guys will have the Neisseria bacteria to help them. And they produce nitric oxide, which kills the bad guys and drops your blood pressure. And that's why there's a direct correlation between high levels of the good guys in the mouth and a good pregnancy. A normal pregnancy without high blood pressure, without abnormal weight gain, if you look at the moms, they have a higher level of the Neisseria bacteria. That research is fascinating. They have a higher level of the serum nitric oxide. The nitric oxide opens up the blood vessels, so more oxygen gets everywhere, including the baby. And it also kills the bad bacteria. I mean, it's like, it's like, however you want to say it, God or Mother Nature came to our defense and gave us allies to protect us. Our problem is we've been killing the good guys all the time. And it's from what we're putting in our mouth and not breathing correctly. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the preservatives, a lot of the antimicrobials. Just recently, there was a little disagreement going online in a group of specialists I belong to. And someone were talking about using chlorhexidine. And one of the very well-known researchers said, you know, in Europe, chlorhexidine in the mouth is banned <laughs> because it raises your blood pressure within one day. And wow. they don't even know about it here. It's also been linked to some cancers because it kills the bacteria that help prevent cancers. In the mouth. Who's putting chlorhexidine in the mouth? Oh, there's companies selling those products and there's dentists using wow. it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's actually doing more harm than good. Like a swish and spit kind of thing? Yeah, or? swish and spit. It's doing more harm than good. It stains the teeth. But they go, I've had patients come in, well, what happened to your teeth? They're all brown. They go, well, I think it's from that mouthwash and they're using this high chlorhexidine mouthwash. I go, wow. like, who told you to use that? And they found out from someone who called in a script form. But it's, we should not, we have to be so careful. Good food. I know you're big on nutrition. I know your background. Good tell food. people what to eat. Tell people what to eat to, to help their mouth. Well, What's the, just, and, and you've told a story, I think, of human evolution too and carbs. And you clearly just said the, the you know, grains, once we had commercial agriculture and grains and cereal, that that was a, an important time in evolution that we started really hurting our mouth and our teeth. Oh, you know tell people average, what, what, they, what they should eat. The average size of the hunter-gatherer population, Homo sapiens, after they started to go to agriculture, dropped by six inches of height. Hmm. That's well published in the Journal of Human Anthropology. Six inches of height because of malnutrition, because grain doesn't give you nutrition it gives you carbs you get a little bit you always get a little bit here and there's always a little bit in there the energy only but not really nutrients good thing they came from the grain was really with the uh, naledi because the naledi were the ones who discovered if you took grain and left it in a vessel with some moisture over a period of time it would produce a marvelous liquid beer alcohol <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They discovered which is beer. also 
Can we talk about what alcohol does to the oral microbiome? <laughs> yeah. Well, not that alcohol because it was like a two, 3% beer. I mean, alcohol. Beer, yeah. So it, it was like ship beer, but like the stuff they sell in Kansas. Yeah. That 3.2. <laughs> I remember those days in Kansas. 3. They still sell that in Kansas. They, yeah. Well, my brother went to K-State University and, and if you buy, if you bought beer in the gas station, it was like three, two beer. You had to go to you had to go to the liquor store to get the real beer, but they didn't tell you. So, you know, you were just buying the, yeah, the, well, the lesser stuff. used but. to have uh, a drinking age of 19, but for 3-2. You couldn't have anything above 3-2 to hit 21. It wasn't such a bad idea. It, it, it was a dual-edged sword. It taught you could drink a little bit more responsibly. And yet, it trained you to drink about twice the amount of volume <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be able to handle later, <laughs> so it didn't really work out. Uh, that's the- okay. So um, back to the diet. Okay, so <laughs> I I need you to hit this home for people. Um, obviously, you know I eat a very meat based, you know, carnivore diet. Let's say we have somebody listening that's vegan, but eating like whole foods, all the way to somebody eating carnivore and somebody in between that's moderate carbohydrate what are the impacts of those types of dietary choices even if they're just whole foods they're not eating processed foods on the on the oral microbiome it's really interesting because you know we actually did do a study a very very good study that is in the process of being published um, with 30 kids with autism definitely diagnosed with autism um, no question 30 kids from um, a blue zone in Colombia and 30 kids from the United States who were healthy. The 30 kids that were healthy were extremely difficult to find. No mm. one can believe me how hard it was to find 30 really healthy kids in the United States. Wow. Healthy BMIs, no history of medications, no allergies, anything like that. Um, so basically... The whole food kids were the ones from the United States who were healthy. They were actually quite healthy, uh, but they did eat a lot of meat. They also stayed away from anything processed, but they ate, I have to tell you, it was grass-fed beef mostly. They were eating a lot of pasture-raised um, chicken. The egg, were these like the, Amish? Were these like Amish children? <laughs> no, they were like, not, but I have to tell you, like yeah. moms I mean, in urban, in urban areas, that is, you know, I not... Know common to see well actually there are there are it's becoming more common now actually many parts of around where i'm at i i hear this all the time they would actually send all the lunches to school with the kids in a paper bag because they didn't believe in using plastic they so convinced me because every one of those kids was articulate bright very pleasant no behavioral problems and very healthy and that just completely blew me away because again, yeah. I'm a pediatric wow. specialist. The mm-hmm. kids from the blue zone in Colombia, um, again, they were um, on a very restricted diet. So their microbiome was nowhere near as diverse. They were on a restricted diet because the blue zone was a blue zone because the uh, first the narcos controlled the area and then the FARC, the, the uh, guerrilla terrorists. So who's going to build a fast food restaurant there? No one. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't survive trying it. So the reality is, um, yeah, I'm a big believer, as you know, my youngest son, 
was a really big carnivore too and became very, very healthy and had a lot of great muscular development with that. And we used to, as hunter-gatherers, get 79 to 80% of our diet from meat. Yeah. And these days, um, you know, consumption of beef products is down um, and chronic disease is up. Yeah, but that's yeah. the, you know, political vilification of, uh, and the rules that commodities versus, you know, whole food products like milk and egg and beef and, and what we're restricted and what we can say about them. I mean, it's a whole nother podcast, but, but yeah, people are definitely eating less meat. Um, I've heard too with meat eating, um, what does that role play in like chewing the meat, like with oral development, like oh, with kids? that is huge. In fact, as you know, we have everyone always involved in these projects like baby led weaning and all that, but babies need to chew. They need to develop their jaws. If they don't develop them properly, then they'll end up having very narrow jaw structure, which will never let them have a good airway. Um, sadly, if the upper jaw is too narrow, the tongue can't fit where it's supposed to up in the roof of the mouth. It kind of hangs down a little bit. You get that long face look with the mouth wide open. In fact, I was just leaving the gym earlier today. And I saw a guy who was trying really hard to work out. You could tell he was. He had a nice little belly to him and he had his mouth open as he was walking. I'm going like, dude, close that mouth. But it, he may not be able to well. Because mm -hmm. the one part of the body he wasn't exercising, imagine this. You know you got to lift weights. You know you have to do resistance training. You know you have to do cardiovascular training. You know you have to, if you don't use it, you lose it. Somehow we magically forgot about that with the face. Yeah. And people, there are people who don't breathe their nose. And because of that, their their nostrils kind of close up. You should see these young kids with these closed up nostrils. Tiny nostrils. They're tiny nostrils. And how are they ever going to get out of that? I mean, you really have got to think in terms of preserving the airway and facial development. Because I, I think I told you this before. My younger brother, my younger brother passed away at the age of fifty nine from sleep apnea. Yeah. There's that's... almost anybody you talk to knows of someone who passed away because of sleep apnea. It does happen. That's a scary statistic, yeah. And here, we'll go back to pregnancy. Okay, so what happens during pregnancy when you have intermittent hypoxia? It can absolutely affect the developing fetus. Now, we know most of the research is done with animals because obviously you cannot do a randomized clinical Just trial with humans. Where you gag off the pregnant of, patient's yeah, airway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> block the airway on half of your patients <laughs> intermittently and Let's see how they respond to that. <laughs> but when you do intermittent hypoxia, at least in the animal models, you end up with changes in development in the fetus, specifically later on in development. Not so much the first trimester, but later in the second and third trimester, you really end up with lots of developmental changes. Sadly, being a specialist in pediatrics, I used to see all the time kids with sensory issues and developmental delay, you would always ask, well, what was the reason? Did they ever give you a reason for the developmental delay? They go, oh, no, it just happens. I hate that. I always want to find out who said that to begin with. What do you mean it just happens? When you walk out in the middle of the road and someone hits you with a car, it doesn't just happen. It's because you're walking out in the middle of the road. Right. So... And we have so much bad research out there and we have so much research that's misinterpreted, but still 
we need to go out and find why, and at least in the animal studies, it could be from intermittent hypoxia during pregnancy. So yeah, every pregnant woman should be screened. And the other funny thing is, again, in the animal research, which I think is interesting, if you do that intermittent hypoxia, the lower jaw becomes underdeveloped. Now, how many times have you seen a baby that's almost missing the lower jaws all the way back. You go like, wait, what? That's really, it's called retronathia. It's really back because I see babies. Babies would come in to see me for a consultation on tongue tie and lip tie. And probably one of the most amazing things has been to be able to take a baby who cannot feed well, a mom who's extremely frustrated and in a few minutes with a laser very atraumatically fix that. So later on that night and the next day I'd be getting messages, babies eating wonderful. Yeah. I had one daughter that had to have a tongue clipping. Are you seeing the incidence of that increase? Are you aware of that? I feel like, I, have I don't know if it's just told. awareness of it or if we're just seeing more of it, but I'm sure seeing more of it. Well, we're all aware of it now. We're aware of, um, you know, tongue tie. We also have to be aware of lip tie. I have had kids with severe lip ties and someone who screened them said, there's no tongue tie. There shouldn't be any problems. And I show the parent the lip tie, go, the lips can't move. The lips have to function during breastfeeding. Right. And we'll laser that, which is so atraumatic again. And the baby will breastfeed perfectly fine from then on. No pain for the mom. In fact, my youngest daughter just went for that. She just had my young grandson, who's like three weeks old now, but was only a week and a half at the time. They they took care of his tongue tie because he was having a hard time. It was giving her a hard time too. It does happen. Now, we are more aware of it, but there are many people who think the incidence is going up. That would not um, surprise me. Uh, simply because the incidence of a lot of things are going up and because of something called epigenetics. Where, you know, you don't necessarily have every gene expressed. And with epigenetics, as you know, there's something called methylation, which turns on or turn off the gene. There's also another mechanism, histone acetylation, but let's get, talk about methylation for now. So you may have had a tendency to have something, but because the jaw is poorly developed, the diet is bad, the lip tie becomes more obvious because a lot of times this happens in utero and they can see, as you know, on ultrasound, baby swallowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of stuff they can see on ultrasound. Uh, Dr. Stephen Sheldon from Lurie Children's Hospital is a pediatric sleep specialist and they have some amazing imaging that they have done showing the issues that they can say, oh, this baby's going to have a problem. They're not even born yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. You always wish you had a camera and could watch them. And we can sure do that with ultrasound. It's pretty cool, too, to watch, um, you know, fetal so MRIs cool. and watch what That's babies cool. do inside of yeah, there. You, then yeah. you have, uh, you know, all the baby pictures are, like, framed and all that. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, other things that we do to take care of our mouth. So, okay, from a dietary perspective, eat more meat, don't eat a lot of sugar and carbohydrates, yep. get your airway checked. How about how we take care of our teeth? You know, the dentist always told me to brush and floss twice per day. Um, I know that you're definitely against mouthwash. We talked about the chlorhexidine. People should stop using these, you know, 
a lot stringent of things in their mouth. Are bad. There are some that aren't so bad. You know, and I know we've talked about xylitol before. Xylitol is a naturally occurring sugar. But yeah, let's tell our let's tell our listeners about xylitol. Yeah, it's a naturally occurring sugar. Yeah, xylitol is found in blueberries, plums, very high in plums, found in strawberries. Um, in fact, there's five times more xylitol in a strawberry than vitamin C. And mm. uh, xylitol is also produced by a number of bacteria. And the human body produces xylitol. Your liver goes, does about 12 to 15 grams a day of xylitol. And xylitol is produced by a pathway. It's called the pentose phosphate pathway. It's produced from other sugars. Xylitol is used by human and by rat and mouse mitochondria as a start for the energy cycle. It's an electron donor. So it's really a funny little story behind xylitol. It's very natural for humans. Do I have time to tell the evolution of that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Please do. being uh, hunter-gatherers, we went through a crisis. And it's called the marine isotope stage six, where... Um, all of Northern Europe was completely frozen and all of Sub-Saharan Africa up north became desert. So Homo sapiens about 195,000 years ago got forced into what was left that we could survive and not be killed by other predators. Because remember, when there's far less foliage, there's far less to eat for all the herbivores and you cannot find them so suddenly everyone's saber-toothed tiger, everyone's looking for it, dire wolves, although there weren't dire wolves in Africa, but let's say wolves. We're all looking for this, what is left for prey. And so we ended up moving into caves and by the seaside and eating a lot of seafood. And we didn't talk about seafood because humans have been yeah. consuming a lot of seafood. And we eat a lot of crustaceans, you know, go in the water. And that's why we change. We lost a lot of our hair. Our hair was actually can, like us yeah. swimming. Yeah. Not yeah. hairy like a caveman. Yeah. No, no. we started nice, to lose our smooth hair. Yeah, we had skin. to lose our hair. We moved in the caves. We have fires to keep the predators out, you know, the lions and the wolves out of our caves. But then rats got in and mice got in, but a lot of rats got into our caves. And we would have to eat tubers which were these big underground plants. And we would have to dig them up because we had the tools and the intelligence. We could dig up these plants, we would roast them. Then we would eat them. They're not edible unless you roast them. So only humans were able to use that as a source of energy <laughs> because we were mm. able to roast. When we couldn't tubers. catch fish, then we would roast tubers. Yeah, as a, it's, a, it's only as an emergency food supply. But we had to be able to utilize all of it. So we had a big growth of a group of bacteria called the xylobacters, which we don't have anymore. Going back to your meat, we adapted to that, and then we lost that adaptation. We don't have it anymore. There are still tribes in Africa that have those bacteria. But you and I, if I were to measure us for those bacteria to break down those fibers, we don't have them anymore. Interesting. Yeah, so that's evolution again. But that's while those fibers can be broken down into xylitol, and it becomes de-xylose and xylitol. So it's, and so what does xylitol do in the mouth? Well, funny enough, 
it doesn't hurt the good bacteria. It really messes up the bad bacteria. They try to utilize it because they like sucrose. They love sugar and they have a hard time distinguishing it. They're trying to utilize the xylitol as an energy source and they can't use it. See, they got fine tuned to sugar. And over, especially since the bronze era, we've been adding more and more sugar to things. And so the bacteria got used to that more and more sugar and the pathogens use that as their energy to take over the world. And uh, then we throw xylitol on them. They're like, what the, what is this? I didn't come expecting this. I can't utilize this as energy. And they are confused by it. It prevents them from attaching to the human cells. Now let's go on a step and think about I mentioned that really bad bacteria, the one that causes gum disease and heart EG, disease. E.g. Porphyromonas gingivalis. Yeah, Porphyromonas gingivalis. Yeah. Inflammatory Alzheimer's, insulin resistance, diabetes, weight gain. It's been shown associated with many arthritis. Da-da-da. It causes your body to leak. This is what it does. P.G invades into your lining cells, your protective cells, your epithelial cells. And they're, they're glued together. They're called tight junctions. It makes them get weak. The junctions aren't tight. Other things flow in. The body goes into chronic inflammation. So everything, you're allergic to everything. Why wouldn't you not be allergic? Your whole immune system's being insulted. Of course, you're allergic to everything. But the funny thing about porphyromonas gingivalis is it attaches, has a special way of attaching, and goes into those cells. If xylitol is there, they can't do it. Hmm. It blocks them from invading to begin with. Now, porphyromonas is so good at invading, when it gets into your bloodstream, like say your, your gums are bleeding, it gets into your bloodstream. If it gets in your bloodstream, it can go inside your defense cells, what are called macrophages. And mm-hmm. it goes around the entire body inside, inside the macrophage or macrophage and ends up wherever it wants to end up in the body. Because once a bacteria gets into your cells, it's really hard to fight. And you can't get that toothbrush in there. So going back to toothbrushing and flossing, I want to see you get a toothbrush inside the cell or floss inside the cell. You can't, but you can block them from getting in. And blocking them is important because that's how it works also with cancer. Cancer cells can't utilize xylitol. They love sugar. They love sugar. That's why you, when you are, um, they have an oncology patient or being treated for cancer, what do they tell you to do? Ketogenic diet, right? Go keto, get those ketones, yay ketones. Get the ketogenic diet going, and you know this. But the issue is that the cancer cells can't utilize it, but xylitol also blocks the cancer cells from protecting themselves from your normal T-killer cells. That is fascinating because xylitol is anti-inflammatory. It blocks the inflammation in the area. So there's less, they actually blocks blood vessels being formed to tumors. And that's why every study you see published. And of course, they're all animal studies. We haven't had anyone offering to do a human study because someone has to pay for it, right? In all the animal studies, 
tumor growth is held up by at least 40%, which is very significant. When you look at chemotherapeutic agents and so on, it ranks right up there and is 100% natural. And because it is 100% natural and you can get it anywhere like Whole Foods, you can get anywhere you go, you can't patent it. There's no money to be made in that. So no one wants to pursue the, the really good research in cancer. But there's, yeah, but there's lots of xylitol products and um, we won't dive into the study, but women chewing xylitol gum, less preterm birth, right? What oh, a yeah. low cost the, intervention. The famous one. It was a huge study uh, in Malawi. Yeah. yeah. Like almost what, 9,000, 10,000 women. That was Dr. Yep. Kirstie Argard's work from Baylor. And yep. uh, God bless her. We need more people doing things like that. I'm a big fan of hers too. <laughs> so there's, so there, you know, after I found out about xylitol, I mean, I'm telling you right now, I got the xylitol nasal spray. I got the xylitol toothpaste right now at this moment, I've got xylitol mints on my desk, at, you know, at work that I, and I don't eat carbs, right? Can you overdo xylitol? Oh, can you hurt the, the good guys? Beginning, you can overdo it at the beginning a little bit and cause a little gastric distress because you kill off all the bad guys at once. Like time. diarrhea? Well, you know, that's actually associated more with sorbitol and mannitol. Um, okay. Because they're, they're, they have an osmotic effect. They suck water into the gut. Xylitol right. really doesn't do that, but it can cause a problem because you will start to lose a, bad, a bunch of bad bacteria one time. Whenever you do that, there's mm. always that effect. You know, what happens? Well, you get a little a lot loose stools and all that. You might have a little gastric okay. distress, but I mean that's like for one day. But you really have to overdo it. I've I've actually run into very very few people who've had that problem. But aren't you just like pooping out the pirates? I love your analogy of the pirates. I've used that so many times since you told me that, Mark. I don't know if you remember telling me about oh, the I, cruise ship. So yeah, like yeah. the com commensal bacteria in our bodies is like the passengers on a cruise ship and you've got the crew and the captain driving the ship. Those and the then pirates, and pirates yeah, can come in pirates are and the pathogens. They will, they will take all your booty. They will sink your ship. They will. Yeah. So I like, I love that analogy so much. Well, so, it's so true because the commensals, if you die, they die, and the probiotics are there to help you survive. And they do so many great things for you when it comes to your immune system and preventing the bad bacteria. And you know what? It's called a catch-22. I know I've told you this. I have this catch-22 lecture I used where I tell people, you know, kind of a catch-22. You have to keep feeding the good guys, too. And, and you have to have the good guys to begin with to feed them. People say, well, I eat a really good diet. Well, I bring back all the good bacteria. Now, if they're gone, where are they going to come from? So how do you feed them? Oh, well, it depends on what they like to eat. I mean, there are bacteria out there that pretty much survive on, like, you know, red food, red meat, actually. There are bacteria who survive well on red meat. And some pathogens do, too, like Porphyromonas gingivalis. It, it'll grow fine on red meat. Um, but you can feed them just basically by exercise. When you exercise, you produce a lot of metabolites, and that is just pro. That's just products from you working out, lactates and so on. That stimulates certain bacteria to break down the lactates, and they become actually food for the other bacteria. That's why professional athletes have completely different gut microbiome, regardless of diet. They have completely different gut microbiome from someone who is sedentary, and theoretically. If you do a, you know, bacteria transfer, a fecal matter transfer, from a, a excellent athlete to someone who isn't 
the person who is an excellent athlete will become better because they're going to be better <laughs> at actually utilizing what they're given for food. I wonder if the, the World Anti-Doping Agency is on this. People actually, doing fecal transplants in the uh, <laughs> back alley. Actually, they are. Wow. Because wow. there have been reports of people in the past. Oh, my God. The fecal matter First, it was blood doping. Gosh. Yeah, I know. Fecal matter Now the bicyclists are trading poop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they do a lot of good. You know, look at those random studies have come out of there with fecal transplants treating, you know, depression anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, in, in Europe, they're way ahead of us. Europe's way ahead of us on this because they have universal donors. So they're using fecal transplants for everything to cut back on diabetes, weight gain, all these things. So I am, I, I can't wait for us to do that one day. I, I would actually say one day what we should do is someone says, I'm 20, I'm gonna start having my family when I'm 23. Great, we're going to sign you up. You're going to start working out. You're going to yep. avoid all these carbs. You're going to increase your intake of good food, like good meat, good. Are eggs. my patients listening yeah, right now? Yeah, Are you guys yeah. listening? <laughs> and you're going to go ahead and start doing some probiotics. And maybe, maybe by that time they'll make. There is a fecal transplant capsule now, finally approved in the United States after poop capsule. The poop no capsule. way. Yeah. And take some poop capsules, get everything good because when you have that baby, everything's going to be normal. Your airway's going to be normal, your breathing normal, your bacteria normal, your body's normal. You're the healthiest you've ever been. That would be the ideal dream, wouldn't that? Okay, so what are these probiotics though that we should be taking? I've been reading a lot about like acromancia. Like what? What? There's so many out there though. You go to the aisle. There's you know bifido, lactobacillus. How do we know what probiotics to take? Acromancia mesophilia is the second generation group, and it's the first of the second generation. There's other second generations out there. Um, that is one I think is a dream probiotic because it is actually a normal resident of the mouth, the gut, and the nose, and it helps seal leaky gut. Mm. So if you okay. suspect leaky gut, acromancia is definitely the route to go on that. Now for oral one, we have a bunch of choices on oral that are good. Uh, I know I, I know you've, been, you've used some ProBioR Pro before, which has a good three streps or three streps. We already mentioned the strep oralis. That's one of the good guys that produces hydrogen peroxide that kills bad guys who hate oxygen. So ProBioR Pro is a good one. Another one, especially for kids, I, I used to use a lot was the BioGaia one. And that's that lactobacilli rotori using the German pronunciation. And they make a lot of pregnancy products, yeah. They make yeah. a lot of pregnancy products. They have products available for pregnancy, prenatal, they have the one for breastfeeding. And I have to tell you, of course, yep. I'm big on giving that to my my daughter-in-law and my daughters and <laughs> for things like that. Because, you know, everyone, they'll tell you, too, their babies are much, help, much healthier, much happier. Look at the rate of colic we have in the United States. It's atrocious. Mm -hmm. One out three and then they're babies. like, oh, it's the mom's diet. Try this formula. Try that formula. Try this formula. You know, like, ooh, these moms can get in the, in the rabbit holes. Oh, they can. It's so cruel. I mean, it's, it's absolutely cruel because they keep telling them in a way it's the mom's fault and all that. It's really not the yep. mom's fault. Um, 
they really should be explaining, I'm sorry we didn't tell you this earlier. That's what they should be saying. I should have told you this earlier, but if we could get started now and getting a healthy microbiome for you and the baby, you know, and there are good probiotics to give the babies too. And there's people out there who've done studies showing the effectiveness of this in reducing colic. Um, and you know, yeah, they make a lactobacillus ruteri drop. You can literally just put it on your nipple and breastfeed, or you can put it in the baby's mouth, and and uh, it's very simple. Your baby doesn't have to swallow a capsule. But. Oh yeah, it is simple. And and that company um, has been around for a very long time. In fact, I used to bring their products back from Europe. I was lecturing in Europe because I couldn't quite get them yet in the United States. When they finally got here. I was very happy. And I mentioned the other one too, the ProBiore. That's another good company too. That research goes back to some famous people, some actually mentors. I mean, not mentor that they mentored me, but certainly people who are giants in their field. Wow. Well, um, hey, Mark, so for people listening who want to find, I I keep hearing words like functional dentist or um, because you're so connected in the dental world, for somebody listening, how do they find like a dentist like you that really understands these, you know, chronic systemic connections, uh, you know, airway, oral microbiome. Is there like a, a way to find those practitioners? Well, if you find someone who's actually associated with a group like AOSH, the American Academy for Oral and Systemic Health, which, you know, you've lectured to them, you know yeah. how enthusiastic they were at your presentation, were people who are very connected to understanding the whole body. You know, again, functional, looking for the root cause, integrative and thinking in the terms of always trying to find every aspect so when we treat we just don't treat one feature we go after the nutrition i mean how can you possibly be seeing a dentist and have that dentist not say something to you about carbohydrates i mean that should be the first clue if they don't walk in and say how's your carbohydrate uh, intake what are you doing for a good diet you should be worried because back in the old days when we used to have these exams um, to be uh, fully boarded, like as a pediatric dentist, one of the things you had to show was that you're doing food um, diaries for the kids and you had these posters on nutrition talking about the evil of sugar and how sugar was making people diabetic. Back then, we had no idea that we'd be at a phase where we would have one out of three adults and pre-diabetes, according to many surveys, and the pre-diabetics, 8 out of 10 don't know they're a pre-diabetic. Yep. Huge problem. And yeah, Huge our problem. posters are gone. <laughs> yeah. Bad timing, it's to say the least. Terrifying. It's terrifying. Okay, so um, we're going to wrap up here. We're going to move to what I call the semen analysis. And for this, I guess I just want to give really big takeaways for our listeners that the airway is so important. If you or your partner snores, get your airway evaluated and figure out how to get that fixed. If your kids snore, figure that out as early as possible. Um, understand that for babies, this jaw development and airway development starts with breastfeeding. It starts with you know, the, the cups and sippy cups and things like that, that you're giving your kids and then them chewing and eating meat and getting that, that normal uh, jaw development. Um, when it comes to your diet, don't overeat carbs and sugar, eat more meat. Um, we know that the excessive carbs and sugar are horrible for the oral microbiome and increase your risk of all chronic diseases and pregnancy complications. 
And of course, in pregnancy, it matters because you are setting the story basically for your baby and for your child when they're in utero. Xylitol, an excellent thing for the oral microbiome. Um, exercise. Oh my gosh, that was actually a takeaway for me, Mark, in this podcast. I, I didn't even realize just exercising and the things that get secreted actually have a bi-directional relationship with our microbiome um, and, um, and that it really feeds those good bacteria. And then for people who are, you know, listening and saying, God, I wish my doctor understood this, American uh, uh, Academy of Oral and Systemic Health, you can, you can find practitioners in there that, that know what the heck we're talking about. Um, any other big takeaways for people listening, Mark? Oh, no. Um, take time to go outside and smell the roses because yeah, being outside sunlight. affects your, yeah, sunlight, but just being outside affects your microbiome. And if you are worried about green, go take a good walk where it's really green. Because, again, the studies on aging and epigenetics show the more green that is around you, not necessarily that you're eating, but that is around you. (laughs) Green under your feet, not in your mouth, okay? (laughs) It's really important. And, again, because in the soil, there are some extremely valuable probiotics. And there's one bacteria species. I know we talked about this a long time ago. There is one bacteria species that is essential for life. And we keep Go trying on. to kill it. Go on. Well, it's uh, Clostridia sporogenes. And Clostridia sporogenes converts indole and propionic into 3-indole propionic, which makes no sense to most people. But it's a plant hormone. It causes plants to bud and to branch out. Hmm. And so remember the cattle have to eat something. Yeah. 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 So you definitely need to keep Clostridia sporogenes alive. And oddly enough, it is protective. It's a neuroprotectant bacteria. Does the same in humans in your gut. It takes indole, which is a neurotoxin, propionic acid, which if it gets too high, has been linked, no, I shouldn't say linked, you create autism in animal models by giving them propionic acid. Mm. Mm. It combines the two to make them a neuroprotectant. And that's the other thing we didn't talk about was autism on my research on autism. We got started with it. But that's actually- Yeah, give us, give us a little insight. It could be probably be its own podcast, but- yeah, it's, it's, it's a yeah. strong epigenetic thing. I guess started working with autism because I got um, I ran into one of the great researchers in autism a neuroscientist, and we were giving lectures at the same time, back-to-back, at an important meeting on disabilities. And I was talking about the Rothia bacteria breaking down gluten. And he was talking about the problem with certain propionic bacteria producing too much propionic during development of a baby and how that could create – how he he had all these beautiful, beautiful slides and how they would take animals again – rats specific rats they can make them all autistic by giving them the propionic acid into the brain and then they did it in the food and then they get in the water then they did other studies where they gave it to pregnant rats and the, and the, the little pups little rat pups there'd be much higher incidence of autism in the pups uh absolutely no social behavior with them at all and uh and then histopathologically when they looked at the brain in sections it would look exactly like autism and we realized we were actually barking up the same tree. 
And we started mm. to work together and that's why we did that great study on it. And we found that again, uh, like many studies that that bacteria is often missing famous research out of little rock arkansas children's hospital too those bacteria are often missing in moms of kids who are you know have autism they're missing clostridium sporogenes uh, there's a bunch of articles published on it overseas and uh, it's one of the reasons people are trying to ban roundup because um, glyphosate roundup kills clostridium sporogenes Interesting. What can we do about it? I mean, besides awareness, stop using Roundup. Yeah, stop using. If there's a mom listening, maybe who has a child with autism, you know, stop using Roundup. I mean, it's an indirect thing. Many things in life are indirect. They go through several layers of action before it actually causes the action. And uh, when we did the study with the kids, the 30 kids with autism, we intervened with probiotics and prebiotics, and in a third of them we had a great increase in their capabilities. I mean, significant change in their capabilities. Now, we're not the only ones. Since then, there's been a number of studies out there. You have the famous research coming out of uh, Arizona State University by James Adams and others down there where they've been doing fecal matter transplants again. Poop transplants. Poop transplants again to kids with autism. Their improvement rates have been phenomenal. I mean, kids have gotten massively better. And it's one of the things that, parents do know about because there's thousands and thousands and thousands of kids trying to get on the studies down there. Um, it'd be so much easier to do in Europe than here in the United States. But sadly, people have gone elsewhere to have it done, like Mexico and all that, usually not with great results because we mentioned Roundup a couple of times. If yeah. you want to get rid of everything, you have to clear it out first, then replant. Um, when you just do a poop transplant, and you still have all the bad bacteria in there, it doesn't work that well. Mm, okay. Bad guys tend to come back. Yeah. You, you lose the benefit of your poop transplant. You got to weed the garden a little bit before you, you plant it. weed the garden. You got to till the soil. And so over the people who know how to do this, they are actually going in there and they're doing a good gut cleansing first. I've always told them just use a lot of xylitol. They have the kid just sit there and eat package after package of xylitol, and then everything will come out. And then you do the poop transplant, and the kid will enjoy doing it. Interesting. Because <laughs> we have some great. Oh, I got to show you these. Oh my heavens! Like I'm sitting right in front of me. I got some xylitol candy for my for my kids to con them this, into, but I've got these the um, soft, sticky xylitol candy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it stays on your teeth for a while. Can't show you anything. You didn't see it. <laughs> is this a new? Is this a new product it's coming? A new is product. this a? Okay, I'll uh, I'll be a sample. You can. Uh, <laughs> my address really is good because you know that's what yeah. kids want. Something soft and sticky. This was actually yeah. being developed for a school project where we're hoping to get some schools going, especially kids in the Title One schools or um or having so many issues health wise. To get yeah. intervening with them in good food, removing all the processed food from those kids first. Oddly so enough, give them a ton of xylitol, give them some prebiotics and probiotics, and replant the garden. When they have done studies, like they did some massive ones in Europe at nursing homes, removing processed food, heavily preserved food, and bringing in fresh food, they thought it was going to cost more money. It actually did not. They actually ended up saving money. The amount of insulin, metformin, and everything went down significantly. And the health of everyone in those nursing facilities improved dramatically. The reports were dramatic change in cognitive everything. We are killing ourselves with our diet. 
Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Preach into the choir there. I know. Well, <laughs> Mark, this has been incredible. I am so happy that we have had this conversation. Um, for those of you listening, if you heard something that you had a huge takeaway, please send this podcast to somebody. Um, because I tell you all the time, we rely on you to spread these messages around the world. And it's true. Mark and I have a circle of people, a circle of influence, but we literally depend on you guys to spread these messages and to keep, um, you know, this, these areas of research going and wow, I can't even imagine in the next five, 10, 20 years, you know, where this research will lead us and the things that we'll be doing. And, but it, you know, for the people listening, there's so many things they can control. They can control what they put in their mouth. They can start with their diet. So we appreciate all of you and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.